As we begin our worship this morning, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. So come, come to your seats, but if everybody could stand up. And I want to help us prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, prepare our spirits for what the Lord wants to share with us today. And so if you would, let's find that quiet place as I, I read this poem. Let, it, let the words soak in. For what we are given... For being mindful of what we are given. For those who grieve and those who celebrate. For those who remain grateful in the face of everything. For the assembly of words that, link, that links us together. For individual speech that becomes speech shared. For the transformations a written page may affect in us. For those who pay attention. For the teachers who gave us the chrysalis of language. For the comrades of the heart who left us signpost. For the parent who gave us the one ethic of discipline. For ourselves who may take discipline to heart and not resent it. For the second chance that is the writing down. For those who know that half of poetry is silence. For the language of breath and the breath that is prayer. For those who wake to light and know the depths of sacrament. For this common meal and us who bow our heads and partake. For those who remember that so be it is also written. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> I saw the, mo the movement first, but just in that flash, I knew what it was. I was leading a group of missionary students through the mountains of northern Mexico, northern Baja, a while back, and we were on a long hike, and as the students were grouped together and heads down with their packs, I was scanning the horizon, and I saw the flash and the grays and browns and the movement, the, the loping that I've seen countless times before, I knew it was a coyote. And this was the middle of the day. This is not something that you usually see, especially one who would stop and wait, turn around, look at us, and then kind of make sure we were following. So I had my suspicion what was going on, and as the group went on, I found a vantage point that was relatively hidden, and I dropped off from the group, and I let them go ahead and I watched back what I thought, where I thought I would see this particular coyote come back to. And sure enough, there she was, circling back as I watched to a rocky outcropping, which I'm sure was her den with her pups. Coyotes like that, you don't see them during the day unless, often unless they want to be seen, and they sure don't wait around for you to follow unless they're trying to lead you away from something to where you need to be, where you don't need to be. It's moments like that that help me realize oftentimes by the time I see something, I've already been watched. I've already be, been seen. 
And what may appear as a random occurrence, oftentimes is a very intentional being led. We're going to talk today, as we continue our study of John, on this day of epiphany, of the day where we celebrate Jesus being seen for who Jesus is. Not just another man, not just another rabbi, not just another miracle worker, but truly the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. And we're going to come to understand that even when we catch glimpses, that's because Jesus wants to be seen. And even when we realize what we're looking at, we realize we've been seen far far before we ever saw Jesus. And that coming to see more fully involves following. Seeing Jesus as Jesus truly is, the King, the Messiah, very God of very God, is the essence of epiphany. But something else happens when we see Jesus. We also start to realize that we are being seen, that we're not alone, we're not forgotten, we haven't been cast off. We realize that all along we've been watched, and not just watched, but loved, and not just loved from afar, but intimately and personally. Now, for most of us, these aha moments are few and far between, if ever. For most of us, these moments of understanding, of knowing, as we are known, comes in drips and drabs after long stretches of nothing. They come through the hard-fought disciplines of routine and practice, of countless trials and errors, of having to take almost everything by faith because we have so little sight. Friends, don't give up. Hang in there. Encountering Jesus, we are invited to seek and find, see and be seen. Maybe even have our names changed along the way. But first we have to follow. And Jesus' own disciples who followed him while he was here with us in the flesh, they had to pretty much do the same thing. So we're in good company. Let's look at our text and see how they responded. Again, the next day, John was standing there with two of his disciples gazing at Jesus as he walked by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, what do you want? Now, at the beginning of the year, many people set New Year's resolutions, and those of you who have been around here for a few years know that I'm not a huge fan of those. Um, but they have an interest, they tell us interesting things. New Year's resolutions are a way of telling us or revealing to us what we want. Think about it. If you have a goal, your resolution to do something, the outcome of that is what you want to see happen. So resolutions reveal 
what's important to us. Resolutions reveal what we want. And these are important questions to ask. This is an important question to ask. What do you want? Not in that sitting on Santa Claus knee kind of way. Not in that, hey, if you had won the lottery, what would you do kind of way. Not, not that fantasizing kind of way. But in a listening kind of way. In a way of understanding our deepest desires. A way of understanding what motivates us. A way of coming to terms with why we do the things that we do. What do you want? What do we want? Last week, we saw John ask the question, John the Baptist being asked the question, who are you? An essential question that each of us has to grapple with. Who am I? This week, what do you want? Another question. An essential question that we have to grapple with. And we're going to see this. This is kind of John's M.O. as he moves through the book. As he puts the characters and he, and he tells the story in such a way that we cannot, if we are faithful to read, if we are faithful to study, we cannot escape the questions being asked to ourselves. Who are you? What do you want? These are deep questions. These are essential questions that we're invited to participate with. Listen, we study the, the Word here. We study the Bible at Grace Church, not as a mere intellectual exercise. We seek, yes, to employ our intellect and to use the best tools with that, but it's much more than that. We study for the purpose of transformation, of being transformed. We study for the purpose of letting the Word of God work deep in us. We study because we're following. We study because we're humbly admitting that we don't have all the answers. We don't know. We don't know who Jesus is fully. We don't know who we are fully. We have much to learn on this journey. So if you have a if you are one of those who makes a New Year's resolution, or if you are one of those who does that, why not make this the primary one? To open yourselves to the Word of God. To open yourself to the Scripture. To open yourself to the questions. Take a minute. Ask yourself right now, what do you really want? Do you even know what you want? Are you willing to follow so that you can find the answer to that question? The text goes on. It says, so they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Jesus answered, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. Now it was about four o'clock in the afternoon, Andrew the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two disciples who heard what Jesus said and followed Jesus. Now, it's important to stop here and note, there is no knowing without following. We, we've touched on this a number of times, and we, and we revisit it periodically here 
at Grace where we talk about kind of the arc of knowing. Like, how do you know something? How do you really come to understand it? Because our model, our Western model, our rational model informed by the Enlightenment, by Western thought, is this. See something, encounter it, understand it, and then follow it. Maybe. But it starts with this mental conceptualization. It starts with the intellect in discerning something. The biblical model, the ancient model, or the eastern model, however you want to classify it, will have nothing to do with that. That's not, the, that's not the paradigm we see throughout Scripture. And that's not the paradigm that we employ as the church. Instead, as the church, and what we see in the text here, exemplified in this text, is follow. And then you'll see, and then you'll understand. Maybe. There is no guarantee on that. But whereas we want to start with, hey, let, let me examine this analytically. Make your case. Show me your PowerPoint. You know, show me, show me your argument, and then I will decide, as I come to understand, whether I'm going to apply that or not. Jesus says, follow. You want to see? Follow. You want to know? Follow. You want to be changed? Follow. And there is a profound humility in that. That's why Christianity, we talk so much about faith. Because we don't know. We literally follow a Savior that we don't know. We're literally following a Messiah we're only coming to know as we follow with that. And one we will never know if we don't. The text goes on. He said he first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah. So he's got an idea, right? He, he's heard the rumors. He's looking, which is translated Christ. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. What does is, what is Jesus call you? What is Jesus' name for you? I was fortunate in my younger years to work with a woman named Lynn Kaiser. And she was much older than I was at the time, grandmother type figure. And she related to me uh, how when she prayed, she said, I was in prayer the other day, and Jesus said to me, honey? <laughs> and then she stopped at the scandal, and she goes, because that's what Jesus calls me. He calls me honey. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that, and I love it. I love the idea that Jesus would look down at Lynn Kaiser and call her honey with that. What does Jesus call you? Have you ever thought about that? Does he have a different name for you? 
Does he have a nickname? Does he have a prophetic name? A name that you yourself don't yet know that God wants to give you? A destiny? When you encounter Jesus, you need to know he knows you and he knows your name. And he may know a name that you don't even know for yourself yet of who you are to become. It goes on, it says, the next day Jesus wanted to get out of, for Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsidia, the town of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael replied, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip replied, come and see. And what we see here is now the disciples are taking on, even at this early age, the way of the master, right? Because we want to give the answer. Oftentimes we want to be the source. Oftentimes we learn something about God and then we hold on to it. And then it's like this thing that we become, this, this thing that we can trade or sell. And it doesn't work that way. We're not the source, y'all. We're not the hero. We're ambassadors, which means we're always pointing people towards the king. We need to be consistently, conscientiously, intentionally practicing other, with other people. Instead of trying to be the answer, figure out the answer, give the answer, say, come and see, come and see. Just come and see. And lead them with us to follow. Not try to be the source. Not try to be the answer. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and exclaimed, Look, <clears throat> a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? And Jesus replied, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. All of our seeing starts with being seen. All of our seeking starts with being sought. All of our following starts with being called. All of our knowing starts with being known. We are always the second thing. We are always operating in response to what has already been given, to what has already been done. It doesn't originate with us. Our lives are to be led in response to the call, to the seeking, to the loving to the knowing, to the seeing. And that is both incredibly, incredibly comforting to know we're not lost, we're not left alone, we're not wandering by ourselves, but we're being watched and called and loved. We're being known, we're being seen. And at the same time, it's absolutely terrifying. It can be absolutely terrifying to realize there is nowhere to go where God is not. There is no escape from this persistent, pervasive, eternal love. Because when we look at ourselves, again, once we see God, we see ourselves. And we see the corruption 
that has been manifest in ourselves from living as if we weren't seen. We start to see the destruction that we've done because we thought we were not loved. We start to understand the pain that we have dealt out because we didn't think God was there. And so it is both incredibly enrapturing and inviting and at the same time the single hardest thing we will do as human beings to let ourselves be known and seen and loved by Jesus. I don't know that there's anything more difficult than letting ourselves be fully known, fully seen, and fully loved by God. Nathaniel, he answered, he said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And you got to just love, you got you to hear the, not sarcasm, but the laugh in Jesus' voice. Because I told you I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than these, he continued. I tell all of you the solemn truth. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Grace Church, this is what Jesus is offering. Right now, today, the obliteration of the wall between heaven and earth, between God and man. Following Jesus is so much more than learning how to be moral or having your best life now. It's so much more than just relief. It's so much more. Indeed, it is cosmic in its scope and eternal in its nature. We follow Jesus because we were created to see the heavens open up and to see God's face. This is the offer of Jesus. This is the offer of Jesus right now today. What do we want? What do you want? In encountering Jesus, we are invited to seek and find, see and be seen, maybe even have our names changed along the way. But first, we have to follow. You know, I can remember being a young single man and seeing parents wandering through Walmart with snotty-nosed kids, unruly, being loud, being obnoxious, throwing tantrums. And even though I never really thought about being a dad before, it really wasn't ever on my radar, when I saw that, I instantly knew that if that was my child, why they would never behave such way in public. Amen. <laughs> there you go. They would always be properly dressed. They would always be respectful. They would never have stains on their clothing or the snotty nose or whatever, the unkept hair, right? Yeah. 
Anybody else want to fess up with me? Parenting was just so much easier before I became a parent. (laughs) Y'all, following Jesus is very much like that. When we just think of it as a concept, when we just think of it as, as this thing, we pray a prayer and we get to go to heaven when we die, and in the meanwhile, we'll give a little money and we'll go to church every once in a while and we'll throw our kids into youth groups so they don't become murderers and drug addicts. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to be a Christian. It's pretty easy to look around at all the other people and go, man, I'd never behave like that. And we'll think that way, and we'll continue to think that way until we follow. Until it becomes more than just an idea. Until it becomes real. Until we commit. Until we say, this is what I want. This is what I want. I want Jesus. And you throw yourselves in with those snotty, unruly people in church, a specific group in a specific place, and you give up your demand for control and comfort and convenience and having your own way at your own time, and you throw in and you say, I'll follow. And it's messy, and it's confusing, and it's hard, but you will start to see God, and you will start to know God, and you will start to know how much He knows and loves you. We're going to transition now to communion, prayer, reflection, if the worship team could come up. Look, these practices don't come easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to give your money away when you got bills to pay. It's not easy to show up on Sunday morning and then another night and then study. It's not easy to, to look at the learning guide and, and reflect through the things and start your day different because you're making space. It's not easy to see someone else suffering and go towards it instead of away from it. It's not easy to put yourself in a position with a group of people that otherwise you may not even know their name and be vulnerable with them and open your life to them and have them open their life to you. That's not easy stuff, but man, there's no other way to follow. There's just no plan B. There's no other way. It's the only way it happens. Jesus, we're told after he was resurrected, talked with disciples. They didn't even recognize him. They didn't didn't know who he was until he broke the bread, until he poured the cup. Our knowing of Jesus, our knowing Jesus, being known by him, can start right here at this table. This table is open to everyone who is seeking Jesus. Everyone who wants to know Jesus, everyone who wants to be seen by Jesus, you are welcome at this table to take the body which was broken for us 
the blood which was shed for us so that that wall between heaven and earth might forever be obliterated. And we could be fully known and fully know God. Take this time now to let the Spirit speak to you. Hear the voice of the Lord. Reflect, pray. We're going to take up an offering as an act of obedience and love. And we're going to share this table together as we continue to worship. Thank you for being here this morning.